Alrighty, once again, good morning, brothers and sisters. Um, for those at home, I apologize, we're working through some of the uh, sound issues. We got into the swing for a week, and then we had two weeks off, and now we're back into it, so um, we appreciate your patience. I will, I'm going to have my phone up here just for a little bit, because I was scratchy earlier, and this is the way of making sure that people can hear me at home, so I'm not cheating, and I'm not... I don't know how I wouldn't be paying attention when I'm preaching. Maybe I'm not that good, <laughs> so who knows? Anyway, I do want to put this back up uh, in just a minute with the VBOX app. Today we are starting, uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about it next week, uh, a mini Advent series, but about the Christmas season. Today we're going to focus on on hope and the question that I have, which here's the info once again for those of you who need it. Excuse me. Uh, and for those of you, uh, get ready. It's coming. I'll bring this up for a couple more seconds. The question that I have is one that seems fairly obvious to ask at this juncture. It's December. Uh, we're already, well, many of us have been looking forward to next year since um, March. But in a normal year, we'd be looking forward to next year already. It's December, looking forward to January. And so, has everyone got this year at least? The question that I want to ask, and I'll begin to open it just a minute. Once again, type a word or one or two words that kind of describe what you're hoping for. Here's my one stipulation. The end of COVID, no more quarantine, all that's a given. All right? So what else do you hope for besides no more COVID, no more quarantine, vaccine, any of that nature? That's a big one. I'm not trying to belittle that by any means. But that's a given. I don't know anyone who's hoping that will persist. The question that I want to ask is what else do you hope for? What do you hope for spiritually? What do you hope for financially? What do you hope for emotionally, familially? What just comes to mind as far as a hope for 2021? Take a minute or two and then feel free to talk amongst yourselves for what you think. And obviously I have to delay a little bit in order to let the people at home uh, get this as well. So I'm going to be quiet for a few seconds. Feel free to discuss what comes to mind with the people around you. And we'll continue here in just a second as we see what everyone answered. We're kind of stalled there, and so I will go ahead and click it. What do you think is going to show up, I wonder? Here we go. Here's the results. Here is what we as a congregation, at least people who are tuning in, hope for in 2021. Hopefully it works. All right. What stands out, obviously? Peace. Overwhelmingly. Peace. Well, that's, that's prescient, actually, because we're going to talk about peace next week. I'm sorry, we're only going to talk about hope today. <laughs> what else is up here? Let's see, we got relief, end to racism, no more racism. Normal senior year, opportunity to grr, I assume that means grow, vaccine, faith, resemble Jesus more, Jesus, no, transplant, hmm. health, grad school, so saved, healing for, either that's a name, Elena, or all, I'm not sure, restoration, uh, one, share, integrity, stores, able, don, love, no masks, I'm surprised we didn't get an amen on that. Homecoming, independence, strength, 
morals follow acceptance letters? Nap? N-A-P, nap? Amen? Five kids, amen? What a better education others spend. But green card. Peace. I think that's telling. Obviously, there's a lot of things which are on our hearts and minds that we hope for 2021, but overwhelmingly in the way that word clouds work is that any word that's repeated often gets bigger. So, peace. That flows today a little bit because hope and peace and joy, what we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks, are integrally and intricately related. If we hope for peace, the reason I bring this up is because that will actually determine the type of people that we are now and what we seek and what we look for now. Just for a little bit of reference here, some definitions of hope I found on a quick Google search. A feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. To cherish a desire with anticipation. Want something to be true. Desire with expectation. Desire accompanied by expectation or belief. Someone or something on which hopes are centered. Now that's, that's pretty good, except not quite complete, as we'll see in just a minute. Our personalities... And I think, once again, the fact that peace was an overwhelming uh, word repeated just then, our personalities are inexplicably and inextricably, that's a hard word to say, are incredibly linked to what we hope for, to what we are wanting to achieve, what we are wanting to happen. And I can prove it very, very quickly. Let's just say, for the sake of this example, that there are two people Two men, and for all intents and purposes, they are the exact same. They come from the exact same type of background, were raised in the exact same school, house, type, um, city. And let's say they are hired to do the exact same job. And let's say that all the conditions of this job are exactly the same. The temperature is the exact same. The ventilation is the same. They have the same picture on the wall. They have the same view outside the window. They have the same chair. They have the same um, comfortable shoes. They have the same coffee. Everything's exactly the same. And let's say that the job is extremely tedious. Let's say it's putting a widget on a wadget. Just because. Everything's the same. Day after day after day, they put a widget on a wadget, and a widget on a wadget, and a widget on a wadget. Try saying that five times fast. Now or now. Except there's one major difference. Let's say that the guy in the purple is paid $10,000 a year. And after he does this task for a year, he receives $10,000. And so it's even to delayed gratification. He has to do this for a year, and at the end of his time, he received $10,000. Let's say that the gentleman in kind of the olive green, exact same, widget on a wadget, except at the end of his year, he'll be paid $10 million. What happens here, even in this hypothetical situation, as many of you might know, is that let's say that they're having lunch, the exact same lunch at the exact same time, and the guy in the, in the purple just goes, man, this is so boring. 
I don't know how much longer I can keep this up. I mean, isn't, isn't this boring? Isn't this, isn't this horrible? The guy in the green is going, no, no, that's pretty good. In fact, I whistle while I work. This is awesome. What's the difference? Their hope. And the reason for which they are working. The reason for which they are putting in the time and the expectation that they have at the end of whatever time period there is. We see this same idea in the very age-old story of two bricklayers. One bricklayer hates his job, trudges to work, puts a brick on when he has to, just, just sighs and puts it on there. And if you were to come by and ask this bricklayer, what are you building? He goes, I don't know. All I know is that it's a big wall and then I'm not going to see what's done. It's going to be take far past my lifetime. All I have to do is this wall, one brick after another, one hard day after another. I don't know. But the other bricklayer on the other side of the project, he also whistles while he works. He has a skip to a step. He takes two or three bricks at a time and, and does a little jig while he smatters on a mortar and puts it on. And you ask this gentleman, what are you building? He goes, I'm so glad you asked. This wall right here is going to be the interior wall to the interior room of an enormous, beautiful cathedral. And I can't believe that my work right here is going to stand forever and be a part of this. It's going to be so beautiful once it's done. I may not see it, but man, I can't wait for my work to be a part of something so amazing. What's the difference? Not only the hope which he has, but the vision and the realization and the expectation of what he's a part of. Now these are theoretical examples, but yet I think many of us in here probably experience something similar, that our expectations and our situations and how we go about an attitude in any given circumstance is oftentimes dictated by the hope we have in that situation. Whether it's a widget or a wadget, whether it's a brick wall, or whether it's life. Our hope undefinably linked to who we are. And who we are is undefinably linked to the hope which we have or don't have for that matter. Hope is important because especially if it defines very much who we are and what we're doing and how we go about it. It's a powerful thing. So having a right hope a good hope, a true hope, is important. Today, we're going to cover just a few things about hope. We want to cover a definition of hope, a nature of hope, and the promise of hope. The definition of hope, the nature of hope, and the promise of hope. Obviously, it helps to have a definition of whatever it is we are studying. And the best way to do that biblically, we looked at two things just now, both of what our people, us around us who are watching, define as something they hope for, gives us some insight, but also some secular definitions of hope. The way that we go about everything in biblical terms is to go back to the Old Testament, because the New Testament is based on the Old. Anything that's talked about in the, in the New Testament is based on that. There are actually two words for hope in the, New Test in the Old Testament. This first one is yakal, yakal, and that literally means to wait 
for. If you're waiting for something to happen, waiting on something, you are yachaling it. For instance, Noah had to yachal the waters to recede while he waited on the ark on the mountains of Ararat. There's another word for hope, however. It's kava, which means to wait as well, but this one has a very particular context. It's from the word kav, which is literally from a cord or a string. And what this word means is to wait under tension, to wait under expectation. It literally is used in the sense of a string or a cord or a rope being pulled tight, so tight that when finally either it breaks or the tension's released, that's the kavah. That's, that's what you're waiting for. It's the expectation and, and tension of waiting for something to happen. Yachal is simply waiting. Kavah is to hope with tense expectation, to wait with, with something, something needing release, something needing to happen. So we see these a couple times in Scripture. As a matter of fact, in Micah 5.7, we see them both together. Micah 5.7 says, The remnant of Jacob will be in the midst of many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which do not wait for anyone or depend on man. This word right here for wait is kavah, which do not wait, which do not wait under tension for man or depend, yachal, wait around for anyone. And this is obviously comparing uh, the hope that people have in God to the expectation of dew in the morning. The context is, is that Micah is comparing the fact of God's sovereignty and God's faithfulness um, for the people that are coming. Like dew in the morning. It doesn't wait for anyone. It doesn't depend on anyone. It happens. We also see this, however, in Isaiah 8.17, and it helps define what the Old Testament often is waiting for. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. That seems very obvious, but yet it's worth pointing out, and we need to understand this aspect about hope, about waiting, about expectation in the Old Testament. All through the Psalms, all through the Minor Prophets, all through Isaiah, there is one thing that over and over and over the people of God wait for. And it's not salvation, it's not joy, it's not release, it's not even rescue. Constantly, 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 they wait, they hope for God. They wait, sometimes in tense expectation of release, or whatever situation, but for God and God alone. It's important to understand that biblical hope is based on nothing else than God. You see, even Christians nowadays often confuse hope with optimism. Optimism is choosing to think that, well, in this situation, in this circumstances, things will go better. I will choose to think that. And hope is actually quite different. You see, hope, biblical hope, is never dependent on circumstances. In fact, many, many biblical characters waited, hoped on God when they knew their circumstances were only going to get worse. Or they knew they would never leave the poor, bad circumstances. Daniel and the lions then waited 
on the Lord. The people in Babylon waited on the Lord in spite of the circumstances. Hope, in the biblical sense, never depends on your feelings. There are people in the Psalms, I love, I love the Psalms because you have people that are just being honest with God and saying, God, you've abandoned me. There are people trying to kill me. Where are you? Yet I will hope in you. I will wait on you. I feel like you're a million miles away. I feel like you, are, you have abandoned me. I feel like you're... Ne- but I will wait on you. Hope, biblical hope, is never dependent on circumstances, is never dependent on feelings, and is never dependent on methods or plans, which is often why it's different than optimism. Well, if this happens, then it'll be okay. Biblical hope says the one thing, the one person waiting on, worth waiting on, worth hoping for, is worth it, regardless of how this situation, how this plan, how this circumstance pans out. Now, let me just pause for a second, and let's, let's be honest. Even just this, like if I were to end the sermon now, I don't know if anyone who would disagree with me, and I also know a ton of people who would say, yeah, and that's what's hard about hope. True? How can I, even with the circumstances that I'm in, even with my feelings, how, how can I wait on God? How can I hope in God? Well, that's a fair question. What is hope based on? This is Exodus 34, 6 and 7. I don't know how well you can read it. I'll read it. This is one of the most famous and well-known descriptions of a particular aspect of God. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents through the third and fourth generation. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Now there's some hard language there at the end, but the thing I want you to focus on is God's character. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love, but yet also a just and righteous God. The one thing that the Bible defines as worth hoping for, worth waiting on, and the one thing that should be the only hope of humankind is God's character itself. Not just God's character as in who He is, but also his character as revealed in what he has done. Biblical hope, different than optimism or methodology or anything, is never based on circumstances, feelings, plans, actions. It's based on a God who has revealed his character in those situations, in those circumstances, and revealed himself to be loving, faithful, holy, compassionate, righteous. That's the hope of biblical authors. That's the hope of the Bible. And Paul talks about the hope that we have as Christians, el peace in Greek. If you want to Greek it up a little bit, it's based on the Jewish concept of hope, the same thing. 
So that's the definition of hope. Waiting on the character and nature of God based on what He has done, how He has acted. What's the nature then of hope? And I put this picture up because the nature of what I really mean is, well, what really makes up a composition? What really makes up, how, to, how does it build? How, what, how, does it, how do we discover it? How do we, what do we do with this? And that, maybe surprisingly, leads us to the passage that Ryan read, which is John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. I'm going to turn to it here, and it will also be up here on the screen for those who would like to read along. In John chapter 20, starting in verse 24, I'm going to read it again, although Ryan did. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, or called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the hands and the mark of the nails, his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of his nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And very famously, Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. This is obviously one of the more famous stories. Um, a story which, honestly, I've been tired of for a while because oftentimes, especially in church, I'll introduce myself as Thomas, and they say, oh, like Doubting Thomas? And I almost always say, no, Thomas the Tank Engine, thank you very much. Why would we harp on Thomas? But yet, this is probably one of the most human aspects of the apostles. This is actually one of the most beneficial moments for us to learn something about the nature of of both this situation and about what hope is. Here's the thing. Thomas was there. He saw Christ do his miracles. He had Jesus' teachings. Why did Thomas need to see the resurrected Christ? Especially when, at the end of this very section, Jesus seems to contradict himself, the fact that he even appeared to Thomas in the first place, because he said, because you have seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Why? Why this dichotomy? The answer is actually right up here at the top. One of the twelve. You see, Thomas was an apostle. One of the twelve tasked to be the founders of the New Testament church, servants of Jesus. This tells us something integral about hope, about faith, and about Christianity itself. This tells us that the basic foundation of Christianity is not Jesus' ethical teaching or even what he taught. We emphasize that a lot in the church, as we should. But this instant tells us that the basis of Christianity is not 
the ethical teaching or moral teaching or even spiritual teachings of Jesus. Thomas had that. He could have gone and taught, Jesus taught this, and here's what he believed, and here's what you do. But the basis of Christianity is not just a teaching. It's not something that you and I do to become more like God or, or fulfill the, the, the five steps of this to enlightenment or, or what have you. It's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus did. First and foremost, if it was about his ethical teaching and ethical teaching alone, imagine this for a second. Imagine, sometimes people who are well off will get excited about theology and philosophy and, and, and exegeting, dissecting a passage until we're blue in the face. What about just someone who's truly destitute? What about someone who is truly poor? What about someone who has lived life in the darkness? What about someone who has lived life in the slums? What changes their life? Oh, Jesus said to turn the other cheek and give him my coat. They've already been doing that. Not by their choice. Blessed are the meek, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see. I've already been that all my life, Jesus. What else you got? Now, I'm not even trying to be facetious. It's honest questions. What changes a poor person's life who has known nothing but turning the other cheek, who has known nothing but getting up their cloak, who has known nothing but being poor and being downtrodden and being the outcast? Ethical teaching, moral teaching, theology doesn't change their life. No more than it actually really changes any of ours, whether we want to admit it or not. It helps us, it does. But that's not the basis of transformation. What's the basis of transformation? What's the basis of Christianity? The fact that Jesus came in the flesh to transform everything. As he was raised, so shall we be raised. What really changes a person's life? Not just a teaching saying, oh, here's how to be a better person. Christianity is not inherently about a better person. It's not about making good people better. It's not about making good people go to heaven. It's about making dead people live, both spiritually and ultimately physically, once again. The basis of Christianity, the basis of transformation, is the fact that Jesus conquered the one unconquerable thing in this world, conquered death itself and rose again. That's the thing that truly gives anyone and everyone hope. Because ethical teaching, good teaching, you want to be a good person? Sure. Do this. Do that. What else promises not only eternal life with God now, but eternal life, raised physical, resurrected life, ultimately? What promises that everything will actually, truly be made right? What truly promises that everything will be redeemed? Without the resurrection, you can have all the ethical teaching you want, and you are still hopeless. In fact, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 15. If the resurrection is not true, Thomas paraphrased, you're the most pitiable of men. He didn't say without Jesus' teaching. It's without the resurrection of Christ. The main message of Christianity is not what you must do, but what Jesus has already done. Come to earth. Come to you. Died the death you should have died. 
live the life that we ought to have lived and become the sacrifice that each of us ought to have been to be able to be reconciled with the God that we were never meant to leave. You see, the nature of hope is linked to its promise. The fact that no matter what other religions teach, and there's several out there, a lot out there, some do promise an afterlife. All of them that I know of promise a spiritual only. Some of them promise relationship with somebody. Some of them promise all sorts of things. Christianity is the only one that promises both an afterlife with a God who loves you, but also the actual redemption of not only every material thing, but every wrong, every injustice, every tear, every sin. Jesus is the only one that I know of that when faced with the concrete stone, as it were, barrier of death, broke through and walked out in order that we, as those who believe Him, may walk out as well. The resurrection of Christ. The resurrection, the death, burial, and the resurrection, especially the resurrection, is the reason that there is hope in Him. And it's the only hope out there. The promise then, though, because of that, there's a couple things. There's actually more than this. But the promise of that hope, I'll just put them all up here real quick, is something else that nothing else that I have found can promise. The hope that the resurrection promises that it's a personal Hope, the fact that Jesus didn't just die for an idea, didn't just die for a cause, didn't just die for, you know, he died for you and, you and 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 me. The fact that your creator, God, came to flesh to bring you back to himself and promises you eternal life. Not just enlightenment or a better way to go about things, but promises you. You as an individual, you as your creator have made you. And not only that, promises the benefit, the promises that through Christ, promises that through Christ God, your Creator, will never love you more than He loves you now in Christ. That He will not love you any more, any less than five million years from now, whenever you're dead and transformed, and you're absolutely perfect. He does not love you 
he can't love you any more than he loves you now in Christ. That the resurrection doesn't just happen. It happens to you. That you may become the person that you were always meant to be in God. That you, <laughs> that you will have the life that you were always meant to have eventually, even if not yet. There's nothing lost in Christianity. You see that? Whatever is lost in this world will be ultimately through God's love, through the personal relationship, through God's devotion to every single one of his creation. It's a promise of redemption, that everything that was ever wrong will be made right. Every injustice will be made right. And the world, the material, not just will, be, will go away, but it will be, everything will be redeemed. Because Jesus was redeemed spiritually, physically, in every way. There's no other hope like this. There's no other hope worth hoping in, which then also, though, doesn't just promise the one day if you're good, but also promises to the people that believe and are baptized and follow Christ glimpses and be, to be part of that mission of redeeming the world, of setting things right now. I talked about this, the fact that God's kingdom is an inaugurated eschatology. It's a fun preacher term. And I like saying it. Eschatology is like one of my favorite words to say. Eschatological. It's fun. I'm a... Thank you. <laughs> Go home and say it five times fast. You'll love it. Inaugurated eschatology means that the ultimate future is not limited to the future, but is begun now. And as God working as always how he has done through his creation personally through his creation that he loves is redeeming the creation you we us the world now through his people that the very process by which we are redeemed the very process the very the very the very vision of the hope that we have we actually get to be a part of the process we actually get to be a part of our own hope that god promises us and the hope for the world what what else does that Now, here's the thing. I'm almost done. Does this solve everything? No. <laughs> Do we still have to go through hard times? Yes. In fact, there's a good argument to be made that some Christians, way to end on a downer, some Christians, many Christians, actually go through more hard times than not. But is there anything else that in the midst of the lowest low, the darkest dark, the lowest valley, can assure you that your Creator is there with you, 
that you are redeemed in spite of everything around you, that you know that even ultimately, even past the worst thing that could happen in this life, your Creator loves you, is there for you, and will redeem you in every which way, that things will be made completely right, and that even by you acting in the way that you ought, you're actually part of that happening right now. Is it anything like that? We still have to deal with the hard times. And yeah, they stink. They're overwhelming sometimes. And yeah, even this year for me, there have been several instances which I've felt like I'm about to be swallowed up. But hope in nothing which I have done or can't do, but only in what God has done, is doing and will do. I don't say this to end the sermon well. I don't say this to just because I'm a preacher. But sometimes this, sometimes I've had nothing else left. And praise God, that's enough. In your hearts, as we close, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I challenge the Christians who are here and who are among us. We are familiar with this verse when it comes to apologetics and such, but I first and foremost want to challenge to make you to make sure that you can answer yourself <laughs> about the hope which you do have in Christ. I challenge any people who are listening to this and have doubts about what hope they have, what hope that you have. I challenge all of us to remember at every moment that hope is far beyond anything that we can see or taste or touch or grasp. But the only thing worth hoping in is someone who overcame the least hopeful fate of all mankind and walked out of his own tomb to give each of those who believe in him eternal life, both now and forever. I pray this week that you are hope-filled, hopeful, and can answer even yourself when the dark times come why we as Christians have and can joyfully rest in the hope of Christ.